is Dr. Vivian Bukai, who is a dermatologist and was trained at the University of Miami and the Baylor College of Medicine. She is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Physician Assistant Studies at the University of Texas Health Science Center. In addition, um, Dr. Bukai is a nationally and internationally um, you know, lecturing member of the medical community. And she is also in the process of writing book chapters for dermatology textbooks. So um, without further ado, welcome to the show, Dr. Bukai. I'm so excited that you are here with us. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here. How much fun. This is all new. You know, I'm a, I'm a dinosaur in medicine. And so all these <laughs> technologies, technologies are uh, sometimes, you know, they still manage to to put a little fear in me, you know, I, I feel much, yeah. more, I feel much more comfortable talking about what I do that well, than getting my message out there. That's what I want to ask you. Actually, I want to, I want to get started though, first by you telling us a little bit about your, um, your journey in medicine and, you know, just, just the whole, the whole, I guess, journey and, and adventure of becoming a dermatologist. So I'm, I'm one of these people that I've always loved art and I've always loved detective being a detective very visually oriented. I originally thought I was, so I was like the little girl that had a Barbie doll with her dream house, but I also had a chemistry set. Oh and my gosh, me too. So that was, that. So this is, this was like, I was, you know, there was always this duality. And I think I originally wanted to be an architect. And then once I figured out that there wasn't that much autonomy in it, and it wasn't just about letting your creative energies flow, you know, unrestricted that I thought I, I read the fountainhead and I said, oh, no, I'm not going to be an architect. And the chemistry got the best of me. And I thought I was going to become a chemist, but I love people and science and biology. And so medicine was like a perfect fit. I originally wanted to be a reconstructive plastic surgeon and, and you know, treat children with cleft lip, cleft palate that yeah. type of thing. But I was really hooked on dermatology at my first lecture in medical school. And I, and it was, this was way before, before aesthetics was even on the radar, to be quite honest. I mean, it was, yeah. it was interesting enough that acne, psoriasis, all the, the things that are so visible on the skin and can have such an impact on quality of life yeah. that, that there was actually a whole specialty dedicated to, to skin diseases and skin wellness. Well, and hair and nails too, right? It's a, right, uh, right, yeah. But that's what, that's what got me really interested. I started my private practice in 1991. My husband and I went to Mexico City. That's where he was born and raised. And that's where my parents come from originally. Oh, Although my mom, when she got married, moved to the States and, you know, and, and stayed here. So we had, um, and so from 91 to 99, uh, I practice there and, you know, I'm luckily I'm completely fluent in Spanish. And although I didn't attend medical school there, thankfully my studies were recognized and I was able to, you know, have my medical license and, and practice. Yeah. Wow. And, that's so cool. So it was really fun. And, you know, the first thing to me that was very exciting was just skincare in the sense of like, you know, it wasn't too many years after uh, Dr. Kligman had pop, you know, published on, on uh, the use of, of tretinoin to treat yeah. photo aging, right? And uh, and then glycolic acid and the alpha hydroxy acids came on the scene. And then patients would kind of push me. They would drive, they would drive questions like, well, what else can I do? What else can I do to make my skin look better? And I was very much focused on how the skin could look better. Yeah. And in fact, I brought the CO2, the first CO2 resurfacing laser into Mexico. I brought it in 1995. Wow. And started doing treatments, you know, of all different skin types so that I wouldn't necessarily, you know, hyperpigment somebody or <laughs> do that. But, you know, a year after I started doing that, people's wrinkles were starting to come back. And so, and, and it, 
they look tighter and smoother, but not necessarily more youthful. Yeah. So it very organically grew into that combination treatments with um, with fillers, botulinum toxin, um, or neuromodulators. And then we came back to the States in 99 because of all the kidnappings. And my husband just really felt like with three little girls that, that we would be. Oh, yeah. So we moved yeah. to San Antonio, which is where I was born, but didn't really have any family there. And I started private practice all over again. And it was a personal experience with melanoma that I had. I had a stage four melanoma. I've been very public about it. Uh, this was in 2006 and in 2007, but it really wow. made me think about what was I putting on my skin? Yeah. And even though my skin looked good and I didn't have wrinkles and so on, my skin clearly wasn't healthy. Right. So that's how I got really interested in skincare, DNA repair, started thinking about growth factors, about a lot of different things, and also realized that skincare can achieve things that devices cannot. So devices, if you remember what I said, how to make things look better, yeah. devices, and we do need them. We definitely do need that in-office technology. They can really help with wrinkles and scars and textural changes and discoloration and redness and broken capillaries and all of those things right. but really change what are the effects of you know free radical damage on the skin of oxidative stress can they do dna repair and they actually do not for the most yeah. part wow so, yeah so skin care is really what becomes the most interesting you know to me now as a way to to enhance what we do and also protect what it is that we're doing or for somebody who doesn't want to have an in-office treatment and a lot of that you know during the pandemic people were staying home more that's where skincare I think really 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 had a chance to shine and yeah. so it's really interesting so I've been really interested right now in using autologous you know using platelet-rich plasma yeah um, for skincare and so there is a method you know there is a way to do that and so that's just kind of next level. So in terms what does of that provide? What like what does that do for us? Like, can you can you tell us about the technology and the and the science behind that? Yeah, yeah. So the science, and this has been studied. Dr. Zoe Dralos has actually done uh, blinded studies and and vehicle controlled studies. So it's basically it's a serum that is that that creates an environment to to protect and preserve the activity of the platelets, which are loaded with growth factors. So in very yeah. much the same way if when anybody's had platelet-rich plasma done, whether for hair loss or for uh, after laser resurfacing, you know, for wound healing or injected, this is now done where it's the platelet-rich plasma. And then it's, it's, it's you know, it's, so it's the patient's own platelets. And then yeah. those actually those are added to a serum that it's actually refrigerated. So you have like a one month supply of each. So every three months, yes, the downside is every three months you have to go in and get your PRP done. But yeah. the real upside is that you're using your own growth factors. It's not derived from anybody else. Yeah. It's And, and the serum does not allow the growth of any viruses, any bacteria. That's also been studied. There is no, God forbid, there was a mistake and somebody, you know, it was the accidentally had transmitted an infected plasma, you know, I don't know. Yeah. What it, yeah. it won't grow in that. It, it will not. So it's another level safety, but at the same time, the growth factors can then target our own cells to do what they normally do, but do it better. And, you know, everything slows down as we get older. So I think it's kind of, like I always say, it's like, you know, charging your battery or using boat, bump, uh, jumper cables, you know, to kind of boost that charge. And right. so it's really great for evening out skin tone, uh, decreasing the appearance of pores, 
the uh, you know treating kind of fine lines and wrinkles. But the great thing is that you can use it right after a treatment, or you can use it as a standalone. So I really like it. And, and so again, there's peer-reviewed uh, journal studies that show that it does improve the appearance of skin and reduces the appearance of photo damage. It improves collagen wow. and elastin. So that, that's what I really like about it. And there isn't another thing on the market like it. It's called So Me. And okay. I, used to, I thought it was called Some, but no, it's So Me. Yeah. And, um, and so it's, it's neat. And so what's great about it is that, you know, most, most of the in, in terms of offices that are already doing platelet-rich plasma, whatever device they have that, that generate, you know, that's used to do that, it doesn't have to be a special device that only goes with that serum. So as long as people already are successfully using PRP, it's a very easy, easy add-on to a practice. And again, it's, it's a product that from, you know, as a physician, um, it really, I think, provides like the ultimate like safety in skincare, yeah. the patient who's worried about putting on things that are, you know, animal derived or, or from a human donor, let's say, or, you know, if they have. How do you feel about that though, as a scientist, like, and, be, and I'm asking honestly, because I am so split on that. Like in terms of like, you know, like, I know that we want things to be cruelty free and obviously we don't want human testing on a lot of things, but when right. it comes to skin health and especially everything you just described, I'm thinking of this, you know, from a research standpoint, I'm thinking of a Petri dish, right? And you have the right medium that you put on top of it so that it can, the cells can grow optimally, you know, right? So like, that's what I'm thinking when you're describing this, but then at the same time, I'm wondering how will we ever know if this works for skin health if we're not using human testing, right? If we're not doing that. So what are your thoughts around that? So if we're talking about this particular system, the PRP, yeah. uh, you know, of course there's variation, right? Because my thoughts have always been, okay, with platelet-rich plasma, you're, you're using the person's own growth factors to target their own cells, right? And if their own cells already got them to where they are, what's the guarantee that, you know, putting more of the same thing on the same cells that the yeah. same post responding, how is that really gonna work? Exactly. But these are concentrated amounts. These now become more than physiologic amounts. These become almost pharmacologic amounts. So you're putting uh -huh. on more, just like it might just take more to get to the same, you know, maybe it takes, yeah. maybe it's like, like let's say a car that gets older, it's mileage, it's not as efficient as when it was a younger car, right? It's still gonna yeah. go distance. It's just gonna take a little more fuel to get there. And so that's how I, I see that. The reason that I know that SOMI works is because there's the biopsy controlled study. There's the biopsies using the serum compared to the serum with the PRP to show yeah. that it really is improvement. So there's actually histology studies to show that the benefit is not just visually, it's not just dependent on our eyes or, or a patient telling us, you know, this looks better, but actually proving through biopsies yeah. and special stains that there has been actually an improvement in skin wellness. Now, if people don't change their habits and they're they're bent on getting sun and smoking and right. uh, and ingesting, you know, not not having a good diet. I mean, well, what is the that's like countering the effects of the good, you know, that really yeah. is. And especially, you know, going back to your point about free radical formation. I mean, I think that's a very hot topic in skincare right now. And I remember when I first um, really got into it, I, I'm so glad, by the way, that you validated my um, my understanding of using skincare for combating free radical damage because when I discovered this brand, uh, Neode, 
they had this mist called um, superoxide dismutase mist. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, this is brilliant. <laughs> like, this is oh, brilliant. Are. And right now, yeah. you know, hot topic also being, uh, you know, you, blue light, high energy, um, you know, uh, the high energy blue violet uh, light, things that are emitted yeah. from devices. Also, you know, being able to wreak havoc on the skin. And, you know, people are so focused in it. And it does take a long time to educate the public, the consumer, our patients about skincare and why we really should be very good about using it. It doesn't have to be a 12-step regimen, but we know that, you know, people are so used to UVA and UVB and they think of UV radiation in total as just the, the sunburn or the tanning. And they kind of forget that the whole spectrum also encompasses visible light and infrared light. And mm -hmm. as the wavelength gets longer, the penetration goes deeper. The shorter the wavelength, the more it reacts with the parts that are more superficial, which shorter wavelengths include UVB uh, and UVA, but UVB is still shorter and it targets that DNA in the upper skin cells. And it does you know, lead to sunburn and mutations and skin cancers and all of that. Yeah. But the ones that penetrate more deeply like UVA, blue light and infrared can age the skin in different ways because they cause breakdown of collagen. They do uh -huh. cause thinning in deeper layers leading to more wrinkles and sagging. So all of it together and actually blue light can all visible light can also trigger discoloration. And you know, we're kind of a global, we're a, a global society now and, and skin of color and diversity being a hot topic as well. Yeah. And it's, but it's also realistic. It's not that it's just a trending topic. It's just something we, we have overlooked for so many years. It's really yeah. important to educate our patients that do have um, that do have darker skin types that they might actually more be more susceptible to some of the the damage from infrared and yeah. light through different pathways. Maybe they won't sunburn as much because melanin is a natural sunscreen. Right. But at the same time, they're still going to be. It, it's not going to stop the penetration of infrared and uh, blue and blue light, visible light. So to me, these are just really interesting things. And as you said back to antioxidants, being able to neutralize some of those free radicals to then yeah. decrease the body's inflammatory response. That's where it all plays together. And that's what skincare can do so well for us. I love that. I love that you explained the role of skincare and skin health, because this has been a, such a great topic or area for me, especially because, you know, on one side, you have hardcore, you know, medical practitioners saying you don't like, you know, forget the big skincare industry, you know, go, go straight to a dermatologist. But then you also have them selling skincare in the offices. You know what I mean? So like you yeah. explaining this is very interesting and it makes so much more sense. I love that. Thank you for explaining that. Now, one question I have, um, you mentioned that everyone is susceptible to different types of damage depending on the wavelengths of light. Now, how do you feel about all of these LED masks that are coming out that are over the counter? Like, do you think that they're doing more harm than good? Or is this something um, that consumers should get behind when it comes to skincare? I think it depends on the light and how it's used and are people capable of following directions because you know how, how we are as human beings. It's like if a little bit is good, more is better. Yeah. So it also depends on the wavelength. And we know that certain wavelengths from LED, if we're talking kind of like the orange, red, more yeah. anti-inflammatory. So if you can suppress that inflammation, that can be beneficial. I mean, blue light 
yes, it can be good for some things for, you know, for fighting bacteria, for acne, but we know some of the over-the-counter devices were, were, you know, withdrawn from the market because of the possible theoretical, didn't happen, but theoretical concern that if people use them for too long, could it damage the eyes? Right, and right. So again, I think that used as they were designed to be used, we can use like orange light, red light as a for a calming effect. Many years ago, I remember there was a, a device in LED panels. I think it was called, I can't remember if it was called like gentle waves or gentle something, but it wasn't the hair removal. It was one that it was in office where you sat in front of these light bulbs, you know, the LED lights. And they had, they showed that used after three months, the effects, you know, on wrinkle, on fine lines around the eyes was very similar to um, having used a retinoic acid, a tretinoin cream, a prescription retinoid. Hmm. So I think that it can help and all of that. But again, if it's just being used as a solo, you know, as a monotherapy and not with everything else, yeah, it, uh, it's just not going to, um, you know, it's not going to have the maximum effect. So I circle back to skincare. I circle back to photo protection and um, all of that because very much like you wouldn't send like one soldier out to fight a battle. Yeah. You send a whole bunch of them. You may have a star warrior in the group or a, a star basketball player, but it really takes a team right. to really get things under control. And skincare is part of that, is one of the essentials of the team, just like, you know, there are other essentials as well. So sleeping, right. exercising, eating well, and there, there's just certain things that we know will benefit. So that's that's how I see skincare. Um, I love that. that role. I love that. Thank you so much for, for clarifying that. Now, one, um, one more question I have is about SPF because, you know, obviously we want to protect our skin and, um, you know, when it comes to SPF, how do you feel about, you know, I know you spoke of growth factors earlier and, and certain other, you know, components that really help with, um, reducing some of the damage or really actually repairing. So how do you feel about the hybrid, um, of sunscreen with something that is more rich in like, for example, growth factors or peptides or whatever it is that you think um, could really benefit um, our skin. Oh, I'm, I'm all for a multitasking, you know, as long as it's you know, multitasking uh, photo protection or environmental protection, as I like to call it. Yeah. Because people should still wear it if they're sitting in front of their screens all day or sitting by windows, even if they're not outside on, you know, on vacation or something, right? Or, or yeah. doing outdoor activities. So the idea of using, and there's several commercially available products right now, you know, that have, for example, uh, a sunscreen, you know, a sun filter, a UV yeah. filter paired with DNA repair or paired with antioxidant. Like anything else, I'm not a formulator, but I will talk to formulators and talk to skin, you know, cosmetic chemists and say, okay, it's great you have this combo, but are the ingredients individually available, right? What's the bioavailability? Yeah. Because they're mixed in together, does that mean that it's really getting to the skin? Or are they in amounts that are effective that can actually do something, right? So, right. One of our, you know, one of our favorite sunscreens has been one that also has 5% niacinamide in it. And niacinamide being such a great antioxidant, great for the immune system and the skin, pigment regulator, anti-acne. I mean, it, it does a whole multitude of things. And so having that in a sunscreen, for example, like, like if I have a young acne patient and they're... Oh. They're put on a medication and I'm telling them, 
don't even think of this as a sunscreen. Think of this as additional treatment for your breakouts to help with the marks that are left behind to help right. you have a better skin barrier so that you're not as prone to sensitivity from the medication. So I think yeah. the combination ones are great um, as long as they've been shown to be to be effective. That's, I mean, I, that makes total sense to me. And I actually have a question because you brought up acne about acne scarring, because I know for me as, as a woman of color, I, one of my biggest problems with skin has been, um, you know, I had acne as a teenager and I had gone to a dermatologist was on antibiotics, whole nine yards. But um, one thing I suffered with was these indentation like scars from my acne. Now, if you have that kind of scarring versus just hyperpigmentation, like how can we deal with that kind of um, damage to our skin post, you know, acne flare ups and whatnot? Sure. So if you have, there's, there's several things that you can do, right? Any yeah. type of scar, there's different kinds of scars and acne, right? Because there is just post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. There are also what are called ice pick scars that look just like what it sounds like, right? Yeah. There's also what are called rolling scars, which are the ones more like what you're describing where you have an indentation. Yeah. And if you actually pull on the skin tight, it makes it look like the scar goes away. Yeah. Rolling scars are some of my favorite because those you can really treat nicely with devices. Oh, well. really? No, you can do it with devices, or but you can also do it with skincare because anything that's done to stimulate collagen production to help build more collagen, because a scar is basically a loss, a focal loss of, of collagen in a specific area. So if you can help build that collagen by stimulating production, you know, production of that protein, but also minimizing free radical damage, then a good skincare regimen is gonna help. At least yeah. it's not gonna allow it to progress. But things that also work are, for example, I like what are called biostimulatory fillers, something like polyelactic acid. Yeah. Uh, for example, also known as sculptor aesthetic, or um, that can be used to help thicken the skin underneath and improve the appearance of the scars. Right. Uh, and it really well. But another favorite treatment is microneedling with radio frequency, because with microneedling, you're creating very controlled wounds, which of course now the body has to clot, right? So it has those little platelets that are rich in growth factors. So that's one way. It's like doing like little micro PRP, you know, with microneedling. But then. Yeah frequency which helps tissue with tissue tightening and making that skin more taut that also helps a lot so doing this wow. and we also know that for example microneedling there are you can for example apply apply a serum afterwards whether it be like one's own PRP, you know, where you have extra absorption of those growth factors or whether you want more antioxidants like vitamin C, vitamin E that can yeah. And so you could then start doing those combinations where you have what's called basically a device assisted uh, skincare delivery. That's that's very interesting. Now, if when it comes to like creating um, channels in our skin, I know there are a lot of at home rolling devices that have like small needles, you know, and, and I know that a lot of people use them. Unfortunately, a lot of people also hurt themselves using them. Yeah. But um, does that really work in terms of doing that and then putting on your serums afterwards? Because I know a lot of companies, you know, they claim like, well, if you use this device first, then you do your skincare the efficacy of your skincare is going to go up. And I'm just like, I don't understand that. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, I, I'm very confused about I, it. So. I know such companies and I've consulted for companies that have this, 
But no. here's the thing. If you've got a skincare, if you have a home microneedling device, it's usually a roller. Yeah. And not getting into all the physics. When you roll a device on the skin, think of like a rolling pin, like you use for like, you know, rolling out dough if you're, you know, if you're baking or something. Yeah. Yeah. The angle at which the needle inserts, it definitely has more potential for damage because it's not going in at a perfect perpendicular. It's not going in perfectly perpendicular, 90 degree angle. And yes. it can get more trauma by kind of tearing at the skin. Also needle sharpness is not necessarily guaranteed. So all of that are things that we, you know, we have to think about yeah. Uh, yeah. When, when we're doing these treatments at home. The other thing is the depth of penetration. If if it's you know like if we're talking about for scarring for example the needle isn't getting deep enough to even impact the collagen so really it just becomes about making the epidermis just the outer layer the stratum corneum slightly more permeable so i'm yeah. not sure that i'm completely convinced right um, right you and me both <laughs> but, yeah but so i really would like to see some biopsy you know some studies with some controls skincare versus the device plus skincare and, uh, and of course, these studies can get expensive. They need to go on for at least three months. They need to be blinded, you know, blinded evaluator. Uh, the person having the treatment done can't be blinded because you can't blind a microneedling device unless you have like a, just a very smooth thing, just because right. it's going to be different. So I think science still has to really drive our decisions in skincare. Yeah. But yeah. we also know that it's not, you know, not, not everything can be, a, 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 you know, a, a rigorous trial that way so and then we go back to the whole fact that cosmetics all of what we're talking about skincare with the exception of sunscreens which are regulated as over-the-counter drugs by the food and drug administration skincare does not have the oversight of the fda so yes. other certain substances that have you know been banned from skincare you know worldwide it's just really wildly unregulated so yeah there's, there's yeah. a lot, there's more, you know, the more you, you delve into it, as you know, I'm the same thing happens to you as I'm sure it happens to me is like the more, the more you read and the more you, you delve into it, the more questions you have. Yes, exactly. And the more you realize that there are huge white spaces in the understanding in dermatology, okay. you know, in dermatology. I mean, that's Absolutely. something I think I've been trying to put that message out there is that, you know, you've got for, from the consumer standpoint, you can't simply say, well, this doesn't work for me and it's a bad product. No, because we can't formulate something that we have no data about, no, you know, data. And it isn't one size fits all. And we do have unique, you know, you know, somebody who lives at uh, in Denver is not going to have the same needs as somebody who lives in Miami. Right. And we talk, yes. about, you know, if we even talk about altitude, right. For every kilometer we go up uh, in altitude, we go up and it's 1.6 kilometers is a mile, but we go, we get 10 to 25% more UV radiation. So the role of photo protection or sunscreens becomes that much more vital at higher altitudes. Wow. So I had no that, idea about that. That's very interesting. Yeah. One time, whenever you want, we'll do it just to talk on just sunscreens and photos. Yes, please. Oh my gosh. Please come back. If you have the time, I would love to have you back. <laughs> Sure. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to have this discussion with you. I think it's a lot of fun. And I love when there, whenever there's a chance to try to clear up some of those, you know, skincare myths that are out there. Absolutely. And it's been such an honor hosting you, Dr. Bukai. Thank you so much for your time. And everyone out there, if you have any questions for Dr. Bukai, please leave them in the concept art for this, um, this segment of the episode. Thank you so much, Doc. Thank you. You have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Go for it, go for it. 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 Go for it.
we're recording all of them, so you could always watch them out there. Oh, we can. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, hi, Eka. So I have huh? Dr. Ava Shambam here to speak with okay. you. Okay. Okay. Hi. Hi, Dr. Ava. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm trying to, um, you know, stay as coherent as I can um, <laughs> with all the, with all the guests. Um, give, can you give me just one quick second, please? Sure. Okay, I'm ready. Um, so I'm gonna basically start, Doctor, and um, introduce you, um, kind of like you know a, a big overview sweep of your background. But I would love it if you could like tell us more. Um, I'll ask you to go more into your background, then I, can, I have some questions for you. Okay. Okay. So okay. So our next guest is Doctor Ava Shambin. Um, she is a cosmetic dermatologist and owner of Ava MD and Skin Five. Um, she is a renowned board certified dermatologist and truly a visionary. Um, Doctor Shambin has been on the editorial board um, for New Beauty magazine. She's always featured in big publications like Allure, Bazaar, um, Wall Street Journal. She's been on L. Uh, MSN, Yahoo, many. So um, without further ado, I, I want to introduce you guys to Dr. Shambin. Dr. Shambin, thank you so much for making the time for our show. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. It's, like, it's such a pleasure to host you. I, I would love to, um, to learn more about your background because I know I covered very little. So, <laughs> Well, I've had a spotty background. Uh, <laughs> not well, really. very impressive background, I would say. <laughs> well, I actually did I actually did a lot of, I, I started out in bench research, like in a laboratory, looking at the expression of the collagen and elastin gene. So a lot of my background really begins from a very science oriented perspective. Then I, um, I went undergrad to Harvard and then I went to medical school at Case Western in Cleveland. Oh my gosh, I'm an alum of Case Western. You are? It's the yes, I got school. my master's in medical physiology there. Oh my oh, gosh. <laughs> The, the best school ever. The it's best the school best ever. school ever. Absolutely. <laughs> Go ahead. I interrupted you though. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. And so then I, so then I, um, let's see, I worked for actually Howard Murad, who came up really, he was one of the big creators of glycolic acid and its use in skincare. And then I opened yeah. my own practice. And then shortly after I opened my own practice, I started to do, and I, it was, so I was there at the very beginning of, I would say, aesthetic medicine, where we just started, like when I first bought my practice, we had three lasers <laughs> and that's like wow. all that there were. Um, and there was just injectable collagen. There was no Botox, there was no, all these hyaluronic acid fillers. And so I was privileged to be at the very beginning of all of this work. And then over the years, I, so I did all the dermatology for the show Extreme Makeover, yeah. which was the most profound experience of my career because I just saw how transformative it was to people's lives when they felt better about how they looked. Right, and, right. Yeah, that was one part. And then the other, the other big part of my career now too is I do a lot of clinical trials. So basically everything that you have injected into you, I've been a clinical investigator for. And so these, of course, are for companies and we prepare them. We do the data for FDA approval of their use. And I've done wow. that with laser lasers too. So, 
And then I also, in recent years, I opened up the Skin Fives because I felt that it was really important for people to have the opportunity to do prejuvenation procedures. Yeah. Distilled it down to five treatments for a face and five treatments for body. And then finally, most recently, I just started a subscription box because there's no dermatologist curated subscription box for skincare called. Oh my gosh, I'm totally getting it. First of all, <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. It's really good. We just are having our second box come out for the spring. Wow. So are, yeah. So those are, you know, that's kind of like, that's the highlights. Oh yeah. And I wrote a book called heal your skin. Yes. I saw that. I I'm, I'm so impressed. You have done so much Dr. Shen, but how did you, how did you do that? First of all, <laughs> oh, I think in order to be able, in order to have a wide range in your career, you have to be able to delegate. Yeah. You have to figure yeah. out you need to supervise and make happen and then what other people can help you and you have to be able to share the credit and to share you know share responsibility and so and yeah. share and share your money so I, I just feel really grateful and actually one of my one of the things i'm most proud of is that i have i i employ 50 women um most of whom are the primary wage earners in their family and so i'm just so excited. wow yeah. Wow. That is truly, truly, truly impressive. I'm, I'm in shock. That's amazing. Oh, <laughs> I love that. So I, I actually have some questions for you because obviously um, you are the experts and I, and I want to know about, you know, how much skincare is enough? I mean, do we need skincare? How beneficial is it? You know, what have you noticed with, with your background and your, your experience um, in the field? The skincare? So yeah. Um, skincare, I would say the best analogy is like dentistry. So if you go to the dentist and you have your teeth cleaned once a year, twice a year, three times a year, and then you never brush your teeth, do you think that your teeth are going to still look good? And the answer is, <laughs> or, you know, if you wash your hair like once a month or something, and then you yeah. never brush it, is it going to look good? The answer is no. And so I think people, they tend to discount the value of skincare, but in fact, it's just as essential as having an in-office procedure because you're just never gonna see the full result of the procedure and you're never gonna maintain the result. Right. So yeah, skincare is is just, it's a cornerstone of all beauty treatments for sure. Now, I, I wanna know um, what your opinion is about just you know a normal skincare routine. I know that everyone's looking for their ideal skincare routine. What are some things that you think are absolutely important for almost everybody? Um, other than SPF, obviously, I think <laughs> everyone wants to say SPF. Well, you know, it's really interesting because the Korean community, they love doing like multiple steps. And so yeah. I know, they get up a half hour earlier. <laughs> More like an hour. Like, or an hour. So they can do like nine different things to their skin. And honestly, when they do it, skin looks really good. But, you know, us Americans, we don't really have time for all of that. <laughs> We're multitasking yeah. away. So what do I think is important? Well, obviously sunscreen sun protection because that is the number one um you know um preventable cause of skin aging and then yeah. uh, the other thing i really like is i do like something uh, retinoid and i know everybody's like ah oh, dermatologist all she says is sunscreen, <laughs> you know, retinoids you know well but the truth is is that retinoids can do so much for your skin yeah evening out the pigment from evening out the pigment layer from helping reverse precancerous changes to increasing collagen production and eliminating fine lines and wrinkles giving you an even texture you know goes on and on and on 
Um, the trick with the, retin the retinoids is pairing it with something to reduce the irritation because in Southern California, obviously it's very dry. So I like yeah. to pair it with a hyaluronic acid and a vitamin C. So what do I think is essential? I think that in the morning, if you can put on some kind of an antioxidant under your sunscreen, yeah. I that's really important. In the morning, it shouldn't be that much of an effort to cleanse your face unless you have oily skin and are, and are prone to acne. I right. think that in the afternoon now, I think for people who are prone to getting maskne, which is just about everybody, or even mask rosacea, that when you take your mask off and you obviously want to treat your mask like your underwear and wash it every day, yes. that you, then you can put on something soothing, even if it's like an aloe gel or a toner that has antioxidants and anti-inflammatories in it. And then at night, that's your opportunity to put a peptide on. So one of the growth factor um, products, you could put another antioxidant, never hurts. Um, and then sometimes an emollient so, uh, moisturizer. So how many steps is that? I mean, you know, three steps maybe. Um, yeah, it's about three. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So it shouldn't take that long. So yeah, do it. So, I mean, I want to ask you about peptides because what is exactly like in, from a skincare standpoint, I get so confused because when I think of peptides, I think of um, stability of, of things like this, right? And then when you're putting it in skincare and it's like mass marketed, like, I mean, how effective are they? How do they work? What are some of your recommendations for people who want to go out there and, and buy a product that is, a, you know, a peptide product? So excellent questions. So peptides are little short chains of proteins and they act like what are called cytokines where they, they message from cell to cell. Yeah. And so the message may be to the cell, you know, reproduce yourself, turnover. Um, the message may be to the cell, ideally, you know, make some collagen or the message may be to the, to the cell, all right, relax. <laughs> like for yeah. muscle relaxing peptides, you know, with cosmeceuticals, it's a it's a tricky road that the companies walk because if they show a real biological effect, then it becomes a pharmaceutical. And so they usually, so with the claims, it usually reduces the appearance, you know, as opposed to reduces fine lines and wrinkles, it's always reduces the appearance of fine lines yeah. and wrinkles. So you have to, but there has to be some data out there. And so I think that when you look to buy a peptide, you or peptide containing cream, you want to find something that actually has done some kind of a clinical trial to at least show that it reduces the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles or improves laxity. Because those, and I have done some of those studies and they're real. So yeah. I think that's what you have to look for, but which one is right for you? That's a, you know, that's a big question. question. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a big question. I mean, I do like the, the um, TNS. Yeah. Um, growth factor. I do like that one, but I kind of mix and match my skincare, you know. Well, I'm, I'm curious also, because when, when I think about, you know, things like peptides or growth factors, I often wonder, um, how does it work in a formulation? Because I'm, I'm guessing, you know, things, obviously molecules interact, you know, everyone knows that. And I, I'm curious, like from that standpoint of a, a product that is, you know, like a, a multi-use product, like, or purpose product. I mean, how logical is that? Because these molecules, are they stable enough to be in a formulation together for the most part? Or are they, are, are they things that you want in isolation, like a serum that only has one specific type of peptide? You know, if, it, if you're trying to go for collagen production, you know, boost that, you have that only in there. So like, can you explain that a little bit more, if that makes yeah. sense? 
Yeah, well, formulation, it's all about the quality of the chemist. And there are certainly chemists who are known in the field to, to produce really good formulations because, of course, you don't want two ingredients in the, in the formula to cancel each other out. Yeah. And, and in general, that's why you do see an antioxidant formula that may have, you know, more than one antioxidant. It may have, you know, 10 antioxidants in it because they play well together. With growth factors, they do tend to be, or with peptides, they do tend to be all by themselves. And, it, and to your point, probably because they're unstable. But something like TNS, what they've, what they've, how they've solved that problem is they have a dual chamber. So that when you press on the top, like some cream comes out from each, you know, from separate chambers and they just mix right there in your hand and then you can put them on. And so they're not gonna destroy each other. But yeah. That's yeah. interesting. That's very interesting. I, I actually want to ask you, because I know that you mentioned you did um, bench research with collagen and being your, the focus. So can you tell us something, um, a basic understanding of how collagen works in our skin layers? And just for everybody listening out there to really understand the role of collagen in our skin health. Okay. So collagen makes up 70% of the dry weight of skin. So when I say dry weight, you know, you're taking out all the water, you're taking out the hyaluronic acid. So it's, it's most of the, you know, it's the, it's the protein. They're, they're triple helixes. They look like ropes in your yeah. skin. They look like tiny little ropes. Um, that's number one. The number two is that there are actually 13 types of collagen in your skin. There's different yeah. types of collagen around the blood vessels. There's different types of collagen at the at the junction between the epidermis, which is the cellular part of the skin and to the dermis and, and on. Most of the, that being said though, most of the collagen in our skin is type one and type three with type one being having the biggest presence. And that's what's really in our dermis. What does yeah. collagen do? Collagen gives the firmness to the skin. And I'm trying to think about the analogy. Well, I mean, you know, it's the meat below the skin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Chicken, chicken thigh or something. Right. So right. It really, although it's not muscle fibers, but it's, it's in muscle fibers, but it's, it's, yeah, it's gives the firmness to the skin. It gives the firmness. Right. Whereas no, what about, you know, if with collagen products, I know that the synthesis of collagen is a very like, you know, it, it, it's very, very complex. So, you know, thinking about it from that research standpoint, how important would it be to add factors such as copper? or, you know, um, like some of the things that are used in the actual physiological synthesis of collagen. Does that make sense? Or do formulations do that? Or have you seen that in your practice in yes. some products? The cofactors, yeah. So copper containing products, actually copper has been shown to increase um, or to improve wound healing. And it was all that research with copper was done on wounded, you know, like, cut, like uh, cuts and um, ulcers in skin. Yeah. So. But adding, um, well, vitamin C is one of the cofactors. And so that's yeah. why so many of these creams, the vitamin C turns out that it stimulates collagen production. The other thing is, you know, when you cut yourself or if, it, you know, if you have surgery or something, then why does the skin, how does it know to heal? Yeah. Well, there's a whole bunch of different signals, but one of them is disrupted or like collagen, like just shreds. They tell the body like, oh my God, there's damaged collagen in here. Okay, we have to make new, we have to get rid of the old because obviously there's enzymes to digest the damaged collagen and old collagen. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I'm curious about how you would regulate the production of type one versus type three collagen. <laughs> like that's where I get confused. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously like one is more for like, you know, fibrous changes, right? It's, it's more of like a, it's a harder, 
I don't know how to describe it. Um, right. the, big fi the big fibers. Yeah. 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 So um, like, how do you, how do you regulate that? You can't, you can't, you can't really actually what happens is type three is laid down first and then it's replaced by type one. It's just part yeah. of, they can lay down type three first, but you can't, we can't, we, we don't have any way of controlling. Yeah. It. We have no way of controlling that. That makes no sense. Um, so I, I actually want to ask you a general question. Do you have any advice for all of the budding dermatologists out there? Because I know that it's a very competitive field and I know they're, you know, the medical school classes are expanding like crazy these days and everybody wants to go into medicine. So any uh, career advice you have for our listeners? Oh, for well, I think that it's really important to pursue your heart's desire and don't listen to anyone that says you can't do it. You will not be able to do it. If that's what's in your heart and your head, and that's what you want to do, you should go for it. You shouldn't go for it if you say, oh, well, that's specialty. Oh, I don't think I have to do that much call or I'm going to you know, be able to do this or that. You can certainly do a lot of these cosmetic procedures if you are in another specialty. But if you really want to be a dermatologist, then you should be a dermatologist. And what advice? Well, I think that it's always good to, I mean, it's one of my my middle son who's actually in his residency right now he did some work looking at leprosy in nepal and so oh. and also the Baruli ulcer in africa and so if you have an, an interest in going internationally when things open up again that's always cool to kind of learn about some of these conditions and then the other part is working in a lab i think yeah. that um, as long as you like it, you know, you want to, every moment we have on this planet, it's precious. So you want to be sure that it's something you want to do, but having sort of a more general background behind that is helpful in doing a, in getting. Hi guys, this is Ekta again. I just wanted to pop in and say, I hope you really enjoy this episode. And also just to mention that we are so excited about our new sponsorship package and um, we've been getting an immense response from it. So thank you so much to everybody who's responded. And also, if you know anybody or if you're a brand that is looking to sponsor us, please shoot us an email at skincareanarchy at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to the episode and I will be back next time.